Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome everybody back to the podcast. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about three mistakes naturopaths make with thyroid. But just before you're like, oh no, this podcast isn't for me because I'm a client and I'm not a naturopathic doctor, so maybe this isn't relevant, don't leave because actually what we're going to be talking about is also very relevant if you are suspecting a thyroid condition or may have a thyroid condition. You probably want to know a couple of these things too, and there's going to be some specific details um, on the client side, of course, for the practitioner side. So let me welcome Dr. Katie Rothwell to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about thyroid and what, you know, like there's so much talk about it and it's super important. And I'm like, absolutely, I don't know enough. So, but before we kind of dive into that uh, content, I would love for our listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely. So um, like you said, I'm, I'm Dr. Katie Rothwell. I'm a naturopathic doctor. I'm also a clinic owner, um, and educator. So my, my big, bold mission is really to break the mold of traditional thyroid care in our conventional world and to bring evidence-based thyroid education to both practitioners and patients. So I have been um, working primarily with thyroid patients in my practice for close to seven years now. Um, and I have done a lot of, you know, research and developed my own, you know, protocols and methodologies working with these patients. Um, and now I am, I'm trying to share uh, those methods and that uh, wisdom with other NDs and also patients as well. Amazing. Wonderful. Well, we're so lucky that we have this opportunity to get a glimpse into uh, this information that you are so you know passionate about sharing. So Absolutely. maybe let's start with some of like, um, like for client kind of basic things. So like, I'm not a naturopath you know, I don't know. So let's just start off with kind of like, what is a thyroid and like, what does it do? Why is it important? Like, why do we care? Totally. So, I mean, we definitely want to care about our thyroid. Um, so the thyroid is a hormonal gland. It lives in the base of our neck. Um, it's a small butterfly shaped gland and it produces thyroid hormones. So both T4 and T3, and it's these T4 and T3 hormones that travel all over the body and enter every single cell in our body. So every single cell in our body needs thyroid hormones to function properly. And if our thyroid isn't working well, or if we have low thyroid function, we're often experiencing a lot of different types of symptoms. Uh, so that can look like fatigue. It can look like constipation, brain fog, hair loss, muscle joints and pain. 
depression, anxiety, you know, so as I'm going through this list, right, like it's very variable and very widespread because all of our, you know, body parts and systems and organs all rely on thyroid hormone to function properly. Um, so that is really why it is so important uh, for our entire body and every body system to have enough thyroid hormone. Okay. I had no idea that like literally every cell also was like relying, you know, you, cause you sort of think, okay, hormone system. Okay. It's like maybe touching one or two systems. Um, but this is kind of sounding like this is a whole body. This is a whole body deal. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's not like you said, a hormone in isolation, that's maybe just affecting our like female hormones and ovaries and uterus, et cetera. Like this is a whole body hormone. It can affect our, you know, ovulation through our ovaries. It can affect brain health and, you know, memory and mood. It can affect our joints and our bone health and bone density. It can affect cardiovascular health, heart rate, cholesterol levels. So it really is, you know, very uh, widespread as far as how our thyroid, you know, works for us, but also what can go wrong when our, our thyroid isn't working properly. Total sidebar question. Cause it's just yeah. kind of popped into my mind, but I, I I'm, I'm curious. So what if like I go have blood work done and you know, my cholesterol is elevated. Mm -hmm. My, my natural assumption is that the physician's probably going to give me some cholesterol medication and be like, you know, change sort of your diet. But would that potentially be like an indicate, like, could something so simple like that also be an indicator that like, maybe my thyroid's like doing something weird? Because I, I feel like the two don't likely, I'm just using cholesterol as an example, because sure. it's so common. But yeah. I wonder, it's probably not very common to screen for thyroid function. Should these other things be showing up as well? Yeah, it's an amazing question. And 100% you're right. So as TSH goes up, which is our main thyroid uh, screening hormone, our cholesterol also goes up. And we see that in the research and the studies, you know, when we plot those levels on on graphs, um, as one, as the TSH um, goes, goes higher, and our thyroid function decreases, our cholesterol can also um, be increasing. So hundred percent, if someone presents with high cholesterol levels and certainly in those situations where it's, um, unsuspected or like, otherwise, you know, things are going really well for this person from a diet perspective, they exercise or taking care of themselves. I would absolutely want to be look at, at screening a thyroid function to see if it's playing a role. Interesting. Yeah. That just popped Ooh. into my mind. I was like, huh? Interesting. Yeah. So can we chat a little bit because you sort of mentioned like thyroid function decreasing. Yeah. I imagine there's such a thing as a thyroid function increasing. Can we yep. just kind of talk a little bit about like the possibility, like what's, what can happen with the thyroid? How do things go wrong? And then of course there's like Hashimoto's as well. So like, mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that part? Yeah. So there's two main I guess, categories as far as what can go wrong with your thyroid. One is that uh, thyroid function slows down or um, hypothyroidism. So that's the name for when our thyroid is slowing down and being sluggish. It's not producing enough hormone. 
though that is when we often see symptoms around you know, fatigue, constipation, feeling cold all the time, metabolism slowing down. Maybe we're seeing, um, you know, an unusual amount of weight gain in a certain period of time. We're feeling brain foggy, depressed. Um, so, you know, that, that metabolic fire that the thyroid provides to our body is really missing in that situation. When we look at hypothyroidism or low thyroid function, our TSH or our main screening for um, main screening thyroid hormone actually goes up the more hypothyroid we are. So it's a little bit opposite when we're looking at the lab results versus how we're presenting clinically. Um, but that's just because of how that thyroid um, hormone is secreted in the body. And then the other option is hyperthyroidism. So this is when we have an overproduction of thyroid hormones. And I often describe it to my, my patients as, you know, drinking 20 pots of coffee, you just feel completely over revved. You know, there's often um, some heart palpitations or racing heart easily, um, you know, sweating, feeling hot all the time, shaky hands, feeling jittery, anxiety, insomnia. Um, and not to say you're going to have limitless energy when you're hyperthyroid, because that's absolutely not the case. Um, I think that's a common misconception, like, oh, I'd love to be hyperthyroid. I'd have lots of energy for days. Um, and I mean, a lot of my, my hyperthyroid patients are also exhausted because, you know, their body is, is running at such an elevated metabolic rate all the time. Um, so those are the two main categories um, as far as thyroid um, function goes. And then we can break it down even further to look at our autoimmune thyroid conditions. So Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, which you mentioned, is our autoimmune version of hypothyroid or low thyroid function. And Graves' disease is our autoimmune version of hyperthyroidism uh, or overactive thyroid. So the hypothyroidism is vastly more common than hyper. Um, so there's a lot that's very, very prevalent, um, especially in women, especially in, in North America. Um, so nine out of 10 patients I see, you know, are going to be presenting with more low thyroid function than high thyroid function. Um, and when we look at the main cause of that, it is Hashimoto's hypothyroidism or that autoimmune um, cause of, of hypothyroidism. And I can go into more about Hashimoto's and, and how that happens, if you like. Um, well, I mean, part of me is just like, why, why such high prevalence of like the autoimmune and why does it seem, I mean, I have some inklings as to like why that might be more in the Western, you know, mm -hmm. lifestyle. Uh, but I would be curious to hear what you have to say in terms of like what the research is showing or saying. Yeah. So with, with Hashimoto's, um, like I said, that is the most common cause of, of low thyroid function, especially in women in North America. Um, so it is a, you know, like any other condition, it's multifactorial. So there are a number of different things that can create that perfect environment where our body is going to, you know, potentially develop Hashimoto's. There is a genetic link. So I talk to a lot of women who are like, yep, yeah, all my sisters and aunts and my mom all have thyroid conditions. 
Um, so th those are people we definitely want to keep a closer eye on and, and screen um, occasionally, especially if they're presenting with symptoms that are, you know, could be thyroid related. We also um, look at our environmental um, exposures. So, I mean, that can be anything that's going to affect our immune system and how our immune system is functioning. So there are many things that can, that can sometimes trigger these autoimmune conditions. It could be a period of extended high stress. It could be, you know, diets that we're looking at are either you know, very low nutrient, high inflammatory, um, high iodine, which we will talk about later and how that impacts the thyroid gland. Um, it could be, you know, toxic toxins that we're exposed to in our environment as well. Um, it could be, you know, an acute um, like viral illness sometimes that just sets the immune system off and then it's like a runaway train. Uh, and the, and the result is that our, our thyroid is, is disrupted in the process. So it's not always a clear, straightforward answer. You know, a lot of patients will come in and be like, okay, but why, like, I want to know the reason why I have Hashimoto's. And sometimes we can narrow it down. And sometimes we're like, look, this is a really multifactorial conversation. These are the types of things that could have increased your susceptibility to this. But ultimately, you know, we're looking at this condition and, and let's focus on what we can do to help you feel better with it, manage it long-term and bring it, you know, into what I like to, you know, term as like a remission state where we're not experiencing these chronic day-to-day -day symptoms of thyroid issues. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, in the pelvic health realm, it's like, you know, how did I, you know, how did I come to develop this particular problem? And it's always like, yeah through history taking through, you know, and, and sometimes there isn't a clear answer. It's like mm -hmm. an emergent property. Like how did the clouds form? Well, you need a variety <laughs> of things to kind of happen all at once in the right proportions for a cloud to form. Right. So exactly. it's a, that's a great example. I might steal that from you because it is like that perfect storm, right? We need a number of things probably going on at the same time. And sometimes there is that underlying, you know, genetic or risk factor um, that increases our susceptibility a little bit. And then you add on one or two other things and, you know, boom, there we go. Yeah. Which makes it, yeah. Which makes it challenging. Like, was it the pressure? Was it the moisture? Was it, well, it was kind yeah. of all of it. And, and, you know, sometimes that actually, like in a good history, we'll give clues as to all the, you know, areas that we may need to actually focus on to start, you know, reducing mm -hmm. some of the impacts that that's having on our body. Yeah. So I want to talk about like kind of the diagnosis mm -hmm. part of this, um, you know, I don't normally get into these conversations, but I certainly have conversations with naturopaths and individuals. And my understanding is that like in our lab work, like when you go to the physician, they usually test one, mm -hmm. of the common things that it's not routine. I don't, you know, to do a full thyroid panel. And if you could kind of talk about what a full thyroid panel is and, and, um, you know, just helping our listeners understand, like, you have these symptoms, but the one test might come back normal. What, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, it's such a, a common 
um, feedback or experience for people to have, you know, maybe a normal thyroid hormone, but yet they're still checking off all of these boxes as far as thyroid symptoms go. Um, it becomes really frustrating for them. You know, of course, makes total sense that um, they're not getting any answers or further care or investigation. So typically uh, what we're doing as far as a thyroid testing. Um, if you were to go to your family doctor, they're going to be testing your TSH. So that is your thyroid um, stimulating hormone. It's produced by our brain and it tells our thyroid to make more thyroid hormone. Um, so if that TSH is within the normal lab range, which is anywhere from 0.35 to point or 4.5, depending on the lab that you use, then, you know, we basically say, okay, you're good. Your TSH is in the normal range. We don't need to do any further testing um, on, you know, be on your way, essentially. Um, with that approach, a lot of people are falling through the cracks. Um, so what we look at, um, what I look at when, I, when I'm doing a full thyroid panel is testing TSH, but also including our free thyroid hormones. So those are T4 and T3. So I mentioned those previously, but those are the thyroid hormones that our thyroid gland actually makes and produces that travel all over our body and get into our cells to create all those positive changes um, that we talked about. So those are, are valuable, um, especially if we're working with someone with chronic thyroid symptoms to give us more information about what the thyroid gland is, is actually doing as far as hormone production. And then the other testing is our thyroid antibodies. So these are, uh, this is the test to diagnose or identify Hashimoto's um, or Graves disease, which is, you know, the autoimmune hyperthyroid. So there are uh, three thyroid antibodies. Um, our thyroperoxidase antibody or TPO, there's thyroglobulin antibodies, which is TGAB, and there is thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin. So the first two that I mentioned, your TPO and TGAB, those are the most common ones I'm testing to determine if we're dealing with Hashimoto's. The thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin, I test less frequently only because, you know, we see a lot less suspected hypothyroidism um, in general. Um, but those first two antibodies are really important uh, as far as to have tested. Um, so number one, we want to do the full thyroid panel. So everything I just mentioned. And then number two, we want to look at our lab ranges um, with a bit of a different lens. So, you know, our lab creates these ranges based on the most common TSH values in a percentage of, of healthy people. But that doesn't always mean that that range is best for you um, or the goals that we're looking to accomplish. So I mentioned the TSH range anywhere from, you know, 0.3 to 4.5, where I tend to want to see it for most people, where, you know, most people feel best is a much more narrow range. So anywhere from 0.5 to 2.5 at the very high end. Um, and even if we're looking to achieve best outcomes in terms of, for example, you know, fertility or having a baby, maintaining pregnancy, like we absolutely want to see our TSH less than 2.5. So we're seeing, you know, as TSH gets into that upper range of the, of the lab range, we're seeing an increase in, you know, challenges or issues depending on the person. Um, so the, 
importance of, you know, one doing that full thyroid panel and then being a little bit more uh, picky, if you will, around where we want those thyroid hormones to actually be. Yeah. And, and the, um, and that thyroid, uh, the, sorry, the full thyroid panel would include those yep. antibodies that you were mentioning. Yes. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's important to mention too, around the antibodies, um, even if your thyroid stimulating hormone or your TSH is still in the normal range, or maybe even in the optimal range, if you could still have positive thyroid antibodies and the antibodies themselves basically indicate that we have an inflammatory autoimmune process that's affecting our thyroid gland and the antibodies themselves can cause symptoms for people. Um, so that is something that is often being missed and is so important to have, to have done. Yeah. Great point. So I want to change a little bit of gear toward practitioner for a moment. And there are a couple more questions, you know, that are relevant for clients is going to come later, but, um, you know, we were talking about some common mistakes and I guess this would be very relevant anyways, for clients who may be working with a naturopath or working with somebody on a thyroid issue. What are some, like, what are the three big mistakes that are being made? So I would say, you know, number one, like we just talked about, not testing those antibodies is so huge because once we know that Hashimoto's is going on, it changes completely how I would address a thyroid issue or how I would treat that person. Um, So number one, you know, if you have a thyroid condition, if you're on thyroid medication and you've never had your antibodies tested, that would be step one to have that done right away. And same goes with clinicians, right? If we're working with people and supporting their thyroid health, uh, yet we don't know their antibody status, or if they have Hashimoto's, we could be doing entirely the wrong or opposite things that, you know, we need to, um, in order to support that patient. So that is really foundational as far as addressing any thyroid issues. Okay. So that would be number one. (laughs) Number two. Number two um, is my um, bit of a like a soapbox uh, topic for me, but relying on thyroid support complexes to treat our our thyroid conditions. So this goes again for you know clients and patients who are maybe going into a health food store looking for like you know at the wall of thyroid support um, products because there's you know there's any and all um, that you can find out there. Um, and, you know, maybe starting a thyroid support complex without knowing whether it's the right thing for them or not. And on the clinician side of things, you know, maybe we are, are using a thyroid support complex as kind of like a jack of all trades approach. Like we'll just throw everything at the wall and see if it helps kind of thing. The issue with thyroid support complexes is that they often contain ingredients that can aggravate Hashimoto's. Um, or that are not just simply not going to help with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. So like I said, you know, the the biggest cause of hypothyroidism in women is Hashimoto's. So, you know, if 90% of the people with hypothyroidism are walking around with antibodies and we're always reaching for our thyroid support complexes, we're not really going to see any change in their thyroid hormones or how they're feeling on a day-to-day basis. 
Um, so the, one of the big reasons why that is, is because with Hashimoto's, like I said, it's an inflammatory condition. It's an autoimmune condition. Our thyroid gland is under stress. It's not working at it. Um, you know, peak performance levels, right? It's not a ingredient issue. And by that, I mean, we can give the thyroid, you know, a Mack truck full of things like tyrosine or iodine, things that create thyroid hormones or that they use to make thyroid hormones. But if our thyroid gland is not healthy and not able to produce those hormones, it doesn't even matter because it's not going to make more thyroid hormones. So giving it those, you know, um, nutrients that are um, like foundational or that are go to create thyroid hormones are, is not generally helpful in those people with Hashimoto's. And that's really what these thyroid support complexes are often um, made up of. Okay. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, you know, I'll often times, like when I talk to clients about stress, I'll be like, your body is literally feel like perceiving that it's actually under or perceiving it's under threat. Like it's under attack. It thinks it's being attacked. Well, it's not going to divert energy to your digestion, to your sleep, to your sexual hormones, to, you know, um, any other kind of process. It's right now trying to deal with the fact that like, it's under attack. Like somebody's shooting arrows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all that totally, yeah. is going to be put on hold until like the threat is yep. essentially neutralized. And if the threat's not neutralized, it doesn't like what you're saying. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. If you like bring 100%. in you know, fruits and vegetables and like <laughs> feed the art, you know, like there's still yeah. Like the main thing is like, okay, great. Like, I know I need to feed myself, but I also like, don't need, I I don't want to die. So (laughs) I'm going to go with the not dying part first versus, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So that, that threat or that inflammation is really what we want to be targeting with Hashimoto's. And there are some really well-studied, great research ingredients that we, that we know work really well for this but they are not uh, typically found in these, you know, very common thyroid support complexes that you'll see. Which ties back to mistake number one, which is first and foremost, t- test the antibodies to, to 100%. Know, like, okay, yep. what are we dealing with? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, we could go on all day around, you know, mistakes yeah. and errors and things like that. But I do want to touch on iodine briefly because it is such a, I feel like a hot button topic around thyroid. It's very closely associated with thyroid health. A lot of people, you know, if they think, oh, I have a sluggish thyroid, again, I'll give it that backbone ingredient. I'll give my thyroid some extra iodine. It'll have more of that. And then it'll produce more hormone. Um, And essentially, you know, that's not exactly what happens. Um, So there's Iodine itself is, is a really interesting nutrient. And I, I call it a bit of a Goldilocks nutrient because we don't want too little. It is, it is important. Our thyroid needs iodine. Other parts of our body need iodine as well. When we're pregnant, we need iodine to help baby develop brain. And, um, but too much iodine can impact how we develop and how we progress in Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. So what we see now in North America is that a lot of our um, foods can be fortified with iodine. 
Um, and a lot of our supplements can have extra iodine in them. And then we find, you know, iodine specific supplements. So things that have just naturally lots of iodine in them. So I think about, um, things like kelp, chlorella, like any algae or seafood or seaweed based, um, supplements or food that are going to have really, you know, dense levels of iodine in them. Um, and consuming those products or supplements that have a lot of excess iodine can essentially make your Hashimoto's worse. And I see this honestly all the time on blood work where, you know, maybe I meet a patient, they're like, yeah, you know, six months ago, my TSH was a little abnormal. I went to the health food store, got myself some kelp, you know, I've been taking lots of iodine. And then we repeat their blood work and like their antibodies are like, triple the level, their TSH is so much higher. So it can really exacerbate that kind of inflammatory process that's already going on. So again, two pronged, you know, obviously we want to be knowing if our patients are Hashimoto's before discussing iodine at all. And then being cautious around as, you know, a, a client or a patient being cautious around self-prescribing or, or taking iodine on your own um, until you know what's going on with your thyroid and if that's something that you truly need. Great. Uh, great. Like, I think it feels like literally the, the, the message I'm getting really is what we really need to understand if there's a thyroid, especially hypothyroid, is it like the conventional or is it the Hashimoto's? Cause it sounds yeah. like the therapeutic approach a hundred percent completely different. Okay. Yes. Maybe not completely different. I'm going to say they're different. Absolutely. And so this kind of then ties into sort of the next question, which is sort of, you know, what are the things like, how does it sort of vary? Like what are some things an ND might do for Hashimoto's and what mm -hmm. are some things like conventional hypo, like very broadly speaking, of course, but how, you know, how is the approach kind of different? Yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, if you visit your family practitioner and we find a high TSH that indicates low thyroid function, um, then the treatment for that is thyroid medication. So we get a synthetic form of that T4 hormone and we take it every day for the rest of our lives. That's essentially how, you know, it's approached through the conventional system. Um, for me as a naturopath, obviously there are other things that I'm going to want to assess and look at. And one of that is what's causing the hypothyroidism in the first place. So um, we want to do that full thyroid panel. We want to be testing for antibodies. And we also want to be testing for other nutrients and things that can cause our thyroid to go out of whack. So low iron levels is, is one of those things that can affect our thyroid uh, hormones. And as I'm sure you know, low iron is very common in women. Um, you know, any, any woman who's menstruating is definitely at risk potentially for an iron deficiency. And that can cause our TSH to look higher than it is and also mimic a lot of the same symptoms, you know, fatigue, hair loss, um, easy bruising, you know, low mood. There's a lot of similarities between those two um, diagnoses, if you will. Um, so doing a, a full kind of workup around the nutrients. So I'm also generally looking at vitamin B12 and vitamin D to look at those levels and if they're impacting thyroid health. 
um, to get a really idea, uh, a really good idea of what's causing the thyroid issue for that person. Again, very frequently we're looking at Hashimoto's and that is what is contributing primarily, but there also may be uh, nutrient deficiencies that are compounding on top of that and making it even more challenging for people. Um, and then as, as naturopathic doctors, you know, we, like yourself, we also do a kind of whole body assessment. So, you know, the other two main areas that I focus on from a starting point with people are digestive health and stress. So those can also, um, lead to hypothyroidism down the load, down the road, if those systems aren't well managed. Um, so we need to do that whole body assessment and get a really good idea, like you said, of, of what's contributing to this condition or situation for the individual. So we definitely take a more individualized approach. Um, and essentially, you know, my three kind of pillars of care, one would be, you know, to optimize those thyroid hormones. So getting your TSH into that optimal range that I mentioned, doing that nutrient assessment uh, and looking at chronic nutrient deficiencies that can predispose you to thyroid issues or make your symptoms worse. And the third is to address our, you know, root causes, whether that be stress, gut, or that, you know, overarching um, theme of autoimmune condition, Hashimoto's inflammation. Um, so we need to take all those things into account when we're looking at thyroid issues and hypothyroidism and not just, you know, offering a medication and saying, okay, you're good. See you in 10 years. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I do want to ask about one other thing mm -hmm. uh, because I, you know, it's something that, you know, I'll certainly hear from clients whenever I'm saying like, or recommending like, Hey, maybe you should go, you know, chat with a naturopath. Um, the topic of gluten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Does, yep. People have this like immediate aversion to anything, to anybody who might say don't eat gluten. So I'm, I'm curious yeah. about, you know, your stance on, um, you know, where the evidence is at with respect to gluten as it relates to thyroid function? Like, is it, is it important for a conventional hypothyroid? Like, is it, um, does it impact conventional hypothyroidism ha Hashimoto's? Like, is it completely off the table? Like, what does that sort of look like? For sure. It's definitely a controversial, you know, topic. And there are some people who, you know, feel very strongly about either one way or another. Um, you know, if you have a thyroid issue, you can never have gluten again for the rest of your life. If you eat it, it will set fire to your thyroid gland and it will take you, you know, six months to even repair the damage that you've done. Um, and I have a real problem with that messaging for a number of issues. Um, I think any food fear is, can be really harmful for, you know, women and, and people in general around, you know, having fear um, or being scared of, of foods. There is an overlap between celiac disease and Hashimoto's. So celiac is our autoimmune, like you have a true allergy to gluten. If you eat it, it basically degrades the lining of your gut. <laughs> so for those people, they absolutely need to be like properly assessed, tested for celiac, and they need to avoid gluten for the rest of their life, like strictly. 
right? We're not talking about those people in, in part of this conversation. Um, what the research has looked at as far as gluten and thyroid health, you know, it's honestly not a lot. Like I looked, um, there, there is some studies around, you know, diet and Hashimoto's and gluten and Hashimoto's. Um, but it is not a, a clear answer that, you know, yes, gluten increases inflammation in the thyroid and you have to avoid it forever and ever. And that's just the end of the conversation. So, um, with Hashimoto's, because we're dealing with more of a chronic inflammatory and autoimmune condition, if we think gluten is contributing to that, and this is an individual situation, so it may be for some people, it may not be for others. Then I often, you know, discuss doing a trial elimination of gluten or potentially other foods and see how people feel. And a lot of people do notice improvements. And I have many clients that don't notice any change, um, avoiding gluten and they have it as part of their, you know, daily, um, daily diet and they feel great and their levels are great and their antibodies are great. And it's, it's really not an issue for them. So, um, it is definitely, I don't think there's one answer that's going to be right for everybody, but I think my overall messaging around gluten is that, you know, we don't have to be fearful around gluten. And if you've been told you absolutely hundred percent have to avoid gluten because you have a thyroid issue or a Hashimoto's that may not be true for you. So it's worth, it's worth, um, discussing that with somebody. Yeah. The way I like to think about it is kind of like a bell curve right? Where mm -hmm. you have like on one end, 10 to 15% of people absolutely sh cannot, right? Yeah. 10 to 15% on the other people, uh, on the other side, absolutely no totally problem. Totally fine. Yeah. And then you have like the, you know, other majority in the yeah. middle that is going to fall on a spectrum from the one end mm -hmm. to the other. And then that's why we do individualized treatment plan approaches, right? We say, okay, 100%. Well, let's try this. Let's see if this is a contributing factor. If no change, you know, like if no change, then it's like, okay, here we yeah. see that like you're ranging more toward the, it's not bothersome for you side. Mm -hmm. So let's, you know, look at something else in the treatment plan, right? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's such a, it's a, such a good approach. And I really tend to um, basically present it as like, this is an experiment, right? Like we are just going to try this out and see how you feel. This is not a prescription for the rest of your life. This is not something, you know, you have to do a 360 or a 180 and, you know, change your diet completely tomorrow. This can look many different ways, depending on what's going to work best for you and your family. And, you know, let's, we'll, we'll work on this together kind of thing. I think when we get those blanket, you know, recommendations sometimes of like, okay, you have to go all gluten-free, all dairy-free. And like, you know, that's it. There's no real discussion around it. How long I have to do it for, what should I notice? Like, I think those types of recommendations are, are often un unhelpful for people. I heard on the radio the other day, they're like, scientists have taken a look to see how long diets last. <laughs> yeah. And, and how long is four it? days. Oh my gosh. It sounds about right. You know, you know what I mean? So like to yeah. actually make that kind of, um, you know, recommendation perhaps without 
you know, a good setup and a good like planning and a good priority. Like that's, you know, that could be a big change for somebody. Oh yeah. Um, And not sustainable. And so then that person's like, well, all hope is lost. And so never mind working with anybody on it because I'm never going to do this. Exactly. Right. When there's potentially some other approach available. Yeah. We just like burn it all down instead of starting with some like, you know, really small actionable steps that can start to get you feeling better. And I mean, most of my patients come in feeling really fatigued, really burnt out. Like they don't have a lot of gas left in the tank. I'm like, man, like making big lifestyle changes is, is challenging at best. And then you add in you know, feeling really tired and, um, you know, having other hypothyroid symptoms and it becomes even more challenging. So, I mean, for me, I'm usually starting with these patients and being like, look, we're going to spend the next three months. We're going to focus on bumping up your nutrient levels, getting your hormones where they need to be improving your energy levels, get you feeling more like yourself again. And then we'll dig, you know, we can dig deeper. We can look at these things down the road. It doesn't all have to be done right out of the gate. And you can feel better without making, you know, a gazillion extreme lifestyle changes. Yeah. And the second comment that I was going to make around the like trying an experiment and, and yeah, I feel like, you know, just for the record, like we're also not, when we say we're trying an experiment, it's not like we're pulling this experiment from like no scientific basis. Right. It's like, well, yes, a lot of people do feel better when they remove gluten. And so we're trying it as an experiment because that could be helpful, but it may just not be the experiment part is like, where on the spectrum do you fall with respect to gluten intake for your body? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like I just dreamed this up and you're the first person (laughs) I'm recommending. Yeah. That is not what we mean by experiment. (laughs) And I was like, just in case anybody's like, Oh, they're just a more of more of like, you know, we're, we're treating it as an experiment in the sense of like, we are observing from the outside, what change this makes for us. Um, and you know, we'll make our next, our, our next moves, depending on what we notice. Exactly. Well, it's the same, like in pelvic health, right? Absolutely. we are, we're going to try this sort of particular exercise approach based on what we're seeing. And then we're going to monitor. And if that's not working, we're going to we're going to change up the exercise and try a different yeah. approach. Yeah. Yeah. But don't, you know, not, you know, I guess the, the main message is what you're saying is like, it's not the same for everybody and yeah. all hope is not lost. If, you know, if you can't completely eliminate it, there are other ways of like supporting your health. So, you know, yes. just working with a practitioner that's going to support that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I work with a lot of young moms. They maybe have like two or three kids at home. They're trying to work from home. They, you know, there's so many balls in the air. And when we have that conversation and I, you know, maybe say to them, you know, maybe we don't start with that. Like maybe we start with these other things and you don't have to be gluten-free. Like, honestly, the relief is palpable. They're just like, Oh my God, like that is, that is so it makes my life so much easier. Like I can go on and we can continue to work together now that that's an option for me. Um, so it's been a really interesting, um, you know, thing to navigate with patients. And obviously, like you said, you know, treating it very much individualized. Some of my patients come in and they are ready to go. They're like, I'm ready to take gluten out hundred percent. 
see if it's a problem for me. Um, and you know, we're off and running and there are others that are just at a different place. And I think we need to meet our patients where we're at and, and support them regardless. Yes. Amazing. I wanted to ask you about, uh, some, like a resource you have because yeah. there might be some people like interested in learning a little bit more. And we've kind of talked about hormones and thyroid hormones. And I understand you have like kind of a guide. Yeah. So my, um, I call it my thyroid decoder or decode your thyroid. So this is a great guide for people who want to read and understand more around their thyroid hormones, what that whole thyroid panel looks like and where we want those levels to be ideally. So it goes through, you know, our TSH, what that is, where the levels are at in both like a conventional lab range, but also, you know, maybe optimally where we want to see those levels. And then it talks around all of our other thyroid hormones as well, our free hormones, all of those antibodies and gives you um, some good kind of easy next steps. Um, if the, um, if you're in a place and you're, you're looking for it. Excellent. And we'll yeah. post a link to that resource in the show notes. Uh, should you be interested in checking that out? Uh, it will be in the episode description. I wanted to um, ask you about, so this is now kind of more on the practitioner side, you know, um, we learn things in school and then we get out yep. and then we learn and need to learn some other things and yep. add extra things. And there, you know, things are always evolving and that's why, you know, as healthcare providers, lifelong learners. So I'm curious about uh, your thyroid Academy and can you speak to that? Yeah. So like I mentioned at the very beginning, you know, one of my other passions is providing this, you know, high quality evidence-based thyroid information. I think a lot of the, maybe information and protocols that we learned about in school are, you know, some are outdated, some, you know, were never evidence-based. So we really are, you know, re-leveling um, or rejigging the whole education around, around thyroid health. So I do have a resource on my Instagram for, practitioners around those, you know, three big mistakes you're making with your thyroid patients. So if you want to read more around those, you can absolutely go in and, and grab that download. There's a little um, bonus uh, couple mistakes in there as well. Uh, and then an invitation to join our evidence-based thyroid community on, on Facebook, which is totally free. Um, and then the Thyroid Academy is like my brainchild that I've kind of dreamed up in the last six months to a year. So it's basically our, our platform for, for providing that thyroid education to both professionals and patients. So we're launching our professional uh, membership soon. Uh, so this will be a ongoing uh, membership for practitioners who want to access high quality evidence-based thyroid content, have access to resources, uh, and also a community that is really focused around exceptional thyroid care for our patients. Wonderful. And again, links will all be in the description and then obviously your Instagram page. So tell us a little bit like where people can find you, follow you. So, you know, your, yeah. your handle on Insta and Yes, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram. That's probably the best place to connect. So it's your.thyroid.nd. 
Um, and all of the resources are, are in my bio. And then I'm, you know, often posting lots of really great information in my posts and stories and, uh, love to connect people, love to connect with people, um, through there. So that's a great place to find me. Um, or you can find us also at the thyroidacademy.com for more educational resources. Amazing. I want to thank you so much. Like that was really helpful for me to, you know, understand a little bit more. And, um, well, it's helpful for me as a practitioner, if I'm doing a screening and we're talking about thyroid and I'm seeing, you know, these things and I'm asking, Oh, like, are you working with somebody? And then they might go into a spiel about it. You know, it gives me an opportunity to say, Hey, like, here are some resources and some places you can go to get like more information. So yeah. Impress your, impress your clients with your thyroid knowledge and get get their antibodies tested. (laughs) I'll just be like, have you had your antibodies tested? That's the first thing you should do. Oh, I love it. This is music to my ears, right? This is, this is a part, this is the whole mission. This is why I'm here, you know? Um, So that's awesome to hear. And thank you for having me on. It was really fun and a great conversation. Yeah, thanks. And of course, we always want to thank our listeners for joining in on a weekly basis and getting to know these amazing practitioners and hopefully learning just as I'm learning. So, you know, this podcast is uh, a little selfish because I want to learn about this, but I figured, well, you know what, let's make this unselfish and put it out into the world so others can learn. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on our weekly episodes and we will connect with everybody on the next episode. So bye for now. Thank you for listening to living a better life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again until the next episode. Bye for now.